0: Hello, and welcome back to the Miss Macintosh, my darling podcast, the commentary part. We're on chapter 55 Character List Joachim Spitzer and Perrone Spitzer. Synopsis Mr. Spitzer talks about his life and Perone, Joachim, and his mottos. After Perrone's death, Mr. Spitzer went bankrupt, paying for the funeral and Perrone's debts. He lost their family house with the duplicate rooms and now lived in a beachcomber's house. He wondered which brother had really died. One, Mr. Spitzer thought that he would have lived if his brother had died when he was overcome with the roaring sound. He could not help thinking, even now, of the life he might have led, had mapped out his entire life, and, no matter what might have happened, would not have deviated by one inch from his course unless it had been planned. He would have quietly pursued his theoretical music studies and principles of philharmonic composition, while wondering if there was such a thing as a non-aural music, a non-visual language, a reality not dependent upon the ear the eye. He would have collected his butterflies and moths. He would have pursued his other collections of the prowls of sunken ships, rare silks and posts and postage stamps. His China Shepherdesses may refer to the China shepherdesses that were popular for the wealthy in the nineteenth century <coughs> and were often <coughs> excuse me, and were often found on fictional mantles and compared in looks to the beauty of a female character. Such a china shepherdess was said to be too fine and delicate for the outside world and properly enjoyed only in the parlor, snug and cozy, and preferably with the door shut. He would have been known for these collections instead of his music. He would be told he had composed his music even while he slept, tell him that he was the world's greatest musician the world had ever known until it was too late, until he had passed into the nether silence could have waited for eternity with perfect calm as one who had the calm assurance that it will come. I need to fix that, that mixed tenses there. Sorry, hold on. I that was wrong. He would be told he had. <laughs> All right, I'll leave it like that. No one, w- no one, would have mistaken him for his brother. Mr. Spitzer thought that if Perone's problematical life was removed from Joaquin's expenses. Then, then Joaquin's expenses were so few that he could have lived on his half of the inheritance, the generous patrimony of sunken ships. He enjoyed his long... Oh, oh, I like that Uh, explanation of inheritance, the generous patrimony of sunken ships. He enjoyed his long stemmed wine glass, perfumed cigarettes, gilded carpet slippers, I'm going to put glasses just so it fits. Uh, gilded carpet slippers with tassels, and never practiced law or lost his dignity. Blackstone may refer to William Blackstone, who was the first to publish his full legal text in 1756. Two, Mr. Spitzer believed he would have practical arrangements for his life in order to write his music. Someone said he was parsimonious, but he disagreed. Parsimonious means unwilling to spend money or use resources. He was only trying to safeguard his future and his music. He had wanted his music to live on after his death guard against every conceivable chance, though not against the inconceivable chance. Could he be blamed for demanding more of life than life could offer? Perhaps he had demanded more than could be achieved by his dying. He wanted to write the tenth symphony when most great composers died after finishing their ninth. He had promised himself that he would begin with the tenth symphony, begin where others had ended, ended their lives. Curse of the Ninth is a superstition connected with classical music. It is a belief that the Ninth Symphony is destined to be the composer's last. After finishing it, the composer is fated to die or before the tenth is finished. 3. Mr. Spitzer believed in this curse so that it made him very cautious, sacrificing some things for other things. He was going to take nothing for granted. He had made some conservative investments because he had never been a speculator. This was completely different from Peron, who would have why? Who would have bet the shirt off Mr. Spitzer's back, the white rose off his coat lapel? That's one of the things that matches Jock's. Uh, what Jock is described as wearing is the white rose, of his coat lapel, the hat off his head, the shoes off his feet, the cane out of his hand. Peron would not have made wise investments, and after his brother's death, Mr. Spitzer's subsequently acquired holdings in sunken Roman galleys, Phoenician traders, Etruscan skills, Etruscan boatmen with aquatic birds upon their heads, sunken moons, sunken street lamps. Some had said that Mr. Spitzer had already lost his wealth as his investments had not been practical either, but were, by the same token, not likely to suffer further depreciation, though this entire government should fail, topple, crash, though there should be a great deluge, a great panic and rush upon the street. Even so, if Perone had not used his brother's bank accounts, Mr. Spitzer believed he would have, could have lived comfortably for the remainder of his natural life, and have paid his current debts, and have saved a coin to pay the last great debt of all. He would have been sec- secure and serene. He could have rested in peace. I'm going to shorten this. Um, I think an important important point to make here is that she, Young grew up after the Great Depression, like she started writing in 45. And that was after World War II. So she definitely lived through the crash. And um, um, I don't know any, I know very little about her Her family, her biological family, other than that, she was raised by her grandmother, and I believe her parents divorced, and that could and that could have come about for different reasons. Because I believe back at that time, divorce was not that common, and also because of the Great Depression as well. Some some families were not able to stay together and were separated or raised by relatives in that way. But I don't know a lot about her bi- biographical or biological family or biographical information and there hasn't been a biography written about her. So yeah there's a lot that's not known about the influences in her life which is I mean other than what she wrote. She wrote essays. There's things she uh, interviews, essays, things that she wrote. Um, of course, that would would help, but yeah, um, not a real, real sketchy on any kind of biographical data that I know of so far, um, always open to find, oh, I had someone on Instagram, I talked to share that there is a more is more article in N plus one magazine, and it's online, and the article's online, it's a really good uh, review of Miss Macintosh my Darling, four mr spitzer's physical wants were easily satisfied but his spiritual desires and love had been insatiable like his thirst for fame never be satisfied by a vulgar commonplace such as might have pleased other people never to rest with the realization of any finite goal or limitation if his goal had been realized even for a moment it would have ceased to be the object of his quest he had thought even when he was young he thought so now nothing on earth could have satisfied him it was a certainty Should the alteration recognize that it was altered? And yet was it not unjust, absolutely unjust, that everyone else thought that he suffered from a great stupor or indifference? That Peron was the restless one, the one whose whims must be humored, and whose prejudices must be respected, and whose emotions governed him perhaps no one but himself had recognized his inner seething and tumult, until it was too late, until he had passed beyond volition. Mr. Spitzer had mourned Peron, for he had foreseen the empty future. He visited his brother's grave and left either a white rose or a red rose depending upon whether he mourned for himself or his brother who had gone to his reward had done the impossible thing had escaped it all his brother died and left joachim to face the music pay the piper foot the bills be continually embarrassed by new demands upon him five mr spitzer says the prone was extroverted and an egotist very self-centered very divulging his true character intent never divulging his true character intentions to anyone Joaquin was an altruist and had paid Perrone's debts. Mr. Spitzer was now bankrupt because of Perone's debts. Six, Mr. Perrone describes his life as this great murder mystery by which he lived to extend the human scene beyond its present limitations. Had had to involve himself with the imaginary law practice even when he was not interested, going far out of his way. This is foreshadowing to what Mr. Spitzer will say towards the end of the novel about his real identity. He felt as if he were already the m- mere phantom of himself and fragile as glass. There had been in the center of life this by this infinite desolation seven mr spitzer thought he had died the morning had never come the morning had been the dream and the night had been real and yet, obviously he was wrong totally or almost totally an error he had survived probably for the simple reason that he had not died in actuality that which no man knew for only the dead could know what was actual the actual was not prone made a blind juggler his bookkeeper which mr spitzer believed that many broken characters could be rehabilitated by a new employment Mr Spitzer had juggled Peron's account so that he was not in debt anymore. Mr Spitzer thought he could never make, make them balance because of his shaky hand. If Mr Spitzer made mistakes, then could not the recording angel have made also a grand mistake. eight. Peron had caused difficulties when he was alive, when it had only seemed that he was killing Joaquin. Joachim still heard his mocking laughter. Mr. Spitzer's anguish had been inexpressible. He had always thought mathematics was more rational than life, how wrong he had been. 9. Mr. Spitzer had so many problems because of his mad brother's irrational career, and by Mr. Spitzer's inability to concentrate upon his own problems, which were few but intense. How could he explain to himself that which he did not know, could never know? He had tried, of course, though with a constant feeling of failure, of frustration, so great that it was almost a creative thing. There were many nights Prone did not come home when he was alive. Mr. Spitzer waited up for him and had kept a light burning all night long in an upper window all day long, a light to guide his brother. Sometimes Joachim didn't see Prone for weeks at a time. When Prone finally came home, he was evasive about where he had been, would not give the names of his associates or that one man might enjoy many names, many lives, would not indicate in what specific ways he had passed his time, though obviously he had been in the underworld among such shady characters as his twin brother would never know. Mr. Spitzer had to figure out what Prone was up to, by discreet inquiries, sometimes by the most painful incidents—incidents—often fumbling, for there had been no skeleton key to Prone's secret past, certainly no skeleton key to his future. Mr. Spitzer complains that Prone had never once done a favour for him or repaid a kindness, even though Mr. Spitzer had sacrificed so much of his precious time, would have sacrificed his life. But would his brother have given him so much as a grateful thought? Prone had not acknowledged his existence, had only used him for his sinister advantage, had treated him not as if he were already obsolete, a tilling of the past, but as if he had never existed. This raises the question as to just which brother, if either, existed in reality. Is Mr. Spritzer schizophrenic, with Prone and Joachim as the two personalities? Which one is the predominant one? Have they changed places over time? A final scene towards the end of the novel helps clear this up. Schizophrenia is a mental disorder characterized by continuous or relapsing episodes of psychosis. Major symptoms include hallucinations, delusions, paranoia, and disorganized thinking. Other symptoms include social withdrawal, decreased emotional expression, and apathy. Many people with schizophrenia have other mental disorders, especially substance use disorders, depressive disorders, anxiety disorder, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. 10. Mr. Spitzer was filled with resentment with the knowledge of his oblivion. Mr. Spitzer complains of prone ignoring him before he died. Cousin Hannah never really saw him. This was like the final insult to Mr. Spitzer, who had precariously endured. Perrone had never run an errand for Mr. Spitzer or showed any, him any kindness. Any favour he had ever asked had been refused or ignored. He had been blind and deaf to Joaquin's needs and made fun of everything that was important to Mr. Spitzer. had always been on the opposite side of every argument, speaking with mockery or sometimes answering only by his silence, which was also his mockery. Changing something. Okay. Eleven. Perona made fun of Mr. Spitzer's different collections, music and library. Perone made fun of Mr. Spitzer's grandiose intellectual pretensions. Twelve. The house where Joachim and Perone lived was divided into equal halves by a long hallway. The space being bisected so that each brother might have his half of space, his hemisphere. Never impinging upon the other secrecy or freedom of physical motion, even of mental motion, as when the invisible dreams took over. Prone never respected this division or Mr. Spitzer's the madman's dream of absolute equality—that there should be no discrepant detail, no wandering perception, no indefinable thing. Prone treated this arrangement as satire. Satire is the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices. Perone treated Mr. Spitzer's life as if it had been a great joke. This chapter has several references to equality and perfect balance young included political views in her book and this seems to be a critique or the impracticality or impossibility of making everything or everyone equal Thirteen Prone laughed uproariously at Mr. Spitzer's old-fashioned graces and airs and courtesies and that consuming tact with which he had always treated his errant brother. Prone never knew which half of the house was his, even though there was an invisible chalk-line between the house and the house, and he should have known. In the last sentence, Mr. Spitzer insists there was never one, but there were two brothers. 14 Perone made fun of all the twin decorations, pictures, and portraits in their house. He even made fun of the twin sports memorabilia and Joachim's bank receipts. There were many memento, mementos mori of Joachim's life. Memento mori is an artistic or symbolic trope acting as a reminder of the inevitability of death. The Divine Melba Sings may refer to Dame Nellie Melba, who is an operatic soprano. Jenny Lind may refer to Johanna Maria Jenny Lind, who is a Swedish opera singer. Old Bull may refer to Old Bornemann Bull, who was a Norwegian virtuoso violinist and composer. Perron did not care about conscious music and have never and have had never attended a music concert, not at least while he was conscious, Joachim thought he might have liked the unconscious music. Fifteen, Mr. Spitzer says there were two of everything in their house. Without this repetition of the repetition, perhaps Mr. Spitzer would have no life now, and perhaps he had had no life then. He had dreamed he was his father, he had dreamed he was his mother. After Prone's death, he had dreamed he was two brothers, and one was dead. Sixteen, Mr. Spitzer said their house was beautiful, it was perfectly balanced. Mr. Spitzer was proud of his exactness. The plans perhaps would have baffled the greatest architect, but they had not baffled Mr. Spitzer certainly, for he had made the plans and had insisted on his accuracy— which should ignore the architectural impossibility or the engineering defect, a slight flaw in the creation. 17. Mr. Spitzer used every instrument he could to make sure their house was accurate by making intricate maps. He thought Peron could find his way, even in the darkness if necessary, and know at all times which side of the house was his, and not disturb poor Joachim, by sudden interruptions and loud noises calculated to arouse him from his sleep. So much of his best music had been composed while he was sleeping, so much had been lost when he had awakened or nearly awakened." 18 can you okay I can identify with that because dream dreaming either I have very vivid fantastical dreams uh, a lot happen in them and so so yeah and and I'll also be dreaming and I'll have and, yeah I'll have some something that I'm thinking about or something I was working on and I wouldn't know you know and wondering which way to go or, or what to do and I'll or, or just something that, you know, you're thinking about and want to fix. And uh, and I'll have the inspiration and dream like, oh, yeah, I could just do this. So, yeah, I, mean, t- I totally did if I with that. 18. Mr. Spitzer did not want anything in the house moved for as long as he lived there, for only by his deeply, this deeply interior need, his need to escape from reality in the exterior world, only by this interior order could he assure and safeguard his mental order. The fragmentations of his personality always agitated him. Silence was more beautiful than music, for the echo was more beautiful than the sound, and the silence was more beautiful than the echo. Sound was life, echo of echo, death was silence, though it was also figured like a state of mind. For there could be no state of mind which was not figured wrought with its possibilities. 19 Peron had always moved things out of their places, without regard to Joaquin's desires for the architectural blueprints, had not familiarized himself with these dual arrangements, and had walked from mirroring room to mirroring room, making a loud noise and cursing when he bumped against an unexpected obstacle, a wandering table or chair or mirror, acting as if it were the obstacle which moved and not he. For he had been nearly a stranger in his own house, indeed, had been a rare visitor, had seldom come home. Prone had made fun of the curtains and all those dim reflections and presentiments of future life. Prone had kicked Mr. Spitzer's musical instruments. <clears throat> Mr. Spitzer remembered those sounds until they made a pattern of their own and they were the unconscious music becoming the conscious music. So the unconscious music became the unconscious. Prone made so much noise going through their house that he often woke Mr. Spitzer, and sometimes he heard this terrible noise even now. So there was this much which was immortal, this sound. This sound had almost awakened him when his brother was dead, sleeping in his grave. 20. Even now Mr. Spitzer would be awakened by this noise, thinking that it was his brother until he realized that there was no one, and that only his dreams had almost awakened him, and he was alone, and time had passed. Aeolian harp is a musical instrument played by the wind. It is named after the Greek god of wind, Aeolus. Mr. Spitzer's mind did not know so easily, did not now so easily differentiate between himself and his brothers in the past. There being now no thinker thinking Mr. Spitzer's thoughts, no sense of intimate immediacy, but only his thoughts thinking him. Mr. Spitzer was a man who wore the blurred facial expression of one who continually leans forward into the wind excuse me the vaporous serenity of his facial expression was that which should signify his perpetual pain and his astonishment that, that in spite of all the odds against him it was he who had lived and his brother the winner had died leaving him to mourn for all those hopes which had been unfulfilled unrealized 21 mr spitzer would be almost awakened by other strange sounds for only gradually was he able to define the source of the sound that it was himself who had turned into sleep and had almost awakened him and had caused him both his unbelievable torment and his permanent stupor, his dull-wittedness affecting his mind, his lack of power to focus his wandering attention upon the present moment, of which he was never indeed quite aware. He was not omniscient, or, if so, his vision was in another sphere. Mr. Spitzer did not know when he had fallen asleep until he was on the verge of waking up. He doubted he was ever fully awake or asleep. He was between his sleeping and his lethargic waking, his complete life and his complete death or extinction of consciousness, between brother and brother. He must be more than cautious, taking nothing for granted, nothing for granted in this life, knowing that his vision was impaired by his grief, his immortal grief, which caused these present distortions, warpings, exaggerations. 22. Mr. Spitzer did not believe he could ever have had a gambler's cold and shrewd and calculating mind. Mr. Spitzer wanted to lose. Prone figured out all the advantages. Spot may refer to spot rummy, played in Ireland. There are many different kinds of rummy card games, which are thought to be based on Mahjong. Even though many people could see double, Mr. Spitzer was aware that he could never see one thing without seeing two. He had dualistic problems, which had increased since his brother's death. The small things seemed large, and the great things seemed small. Mr. Spitzer moved uncertainly all the time because of this problem. The proportions for him were not those which pertained to other people, he sometimes thought, though well aware that no one could really know the implications of another person's mind, especially if he did not know his own and was a stranger to himself." He wanted to understand the linear perspectives in all their possible dimensions, to be semper fidelis, semper edem, semper paratus. For this was the motto he had adopted for himself in his youth, the ethical code by which he had chosen to conduct his life. Semper fidelis is Latin for always faithful or loyal. It is the motto of the U.S. Marine Corps. Semper edem is Latin for always the same and was used by English Puritans in reference to Jesus Christ. Semper paratus is Latin for always ready. It is used by different organizations, including the U.S. Coast Guard. Perone was the master illusionist, thriving simply because most people believed what they saw. Mr. Spitzer is describing several maladies: tinnitus, diplopia, micro macro ma, micro macro macropsia, otherwise known as the Alice in Wonderland syndrome, that can be caused by different things, including psychological. 23. Mr. Spitzer describes a strange vision. The far things seem diminished in size, gradually fading to undifferentiated distance, and the near things seem large simply because of their proximity and because they are tangible. But these perfe- perspectives and proportions, in Mr. Spitzer's case, were reversed almost exactly, the far away things seeming large and the near things seeming small, sometimes nearly imperceptible. This turned ordinary things into a wilderness of a mirages. He seemed to live through geological epochs simply when he took his evening walk, morning walk. Had these distortions been constant, he could perhaps have understood them. He could not even count on the permanent impairment of his vision. Quite suddenly, everything might be in balance. And this fact was as much a cause of his illegaic fear as the disproportions which might have been correct if they had been continuous, like his sleep, if he had not awakened. Twenty-four, if Mr. Spitzer closed one eye, sometimes he would see clearly. If he used both eyes, then instead of seeing clearly? Excuse me. His confusions were simply greater, doubled, as if he were still living half- for his brother, and this was not the actual truth. Half of mister Spitzer was dead, for half of mister Spitzer was in the darkness. Mr Spitzer was afraid to close both eyes for fear he might never open them again and might be now where his brother was. Mr Spitzer practiced sleeping with his eyes open. Perhaps as he never slept, he was always sleeping. The idea had occurred to him he had been drugged since his brother's death. When he blinked everything blinked back. When should he outlive <laughs> when he blinked everything blinked back. When should he outlive his grief? regain that balance he had lost when his brother had departed, departed this life, departed from this world, this sad world. As Mr. Spitzer would silently inquire, his face quivering with remorse, that it was not he who had departed. Twenty-five. Mr. Spitzer was yawning and vacant-eyed and trembling and sad, and his forehead seemed vertically by a line of grief because of this continuing problem of his life and his death. Life in the midst of death, death in the midst of life, the imperfect equation. He could hear his body breaking apart. There was no consolation in his own survival. His time, as he believed, was always running out, moment to moment. He lived only at the end of time, perhaps beyond the end. He was continually losing himself, even through this search. And doubtless would find himself only if he gave up the search. His searching had become the, his, this habit when Perrone was alive, so he could not imagine continuing the search after Perone died. Imagine that there oh, no, that's, that's good. Imagine that there was still some chance his brother might return. Mister. Spitzer's life, with all its difficulties, had been real, more real before Peron's death than now it was when he was left alone. 26 Mr Spitzer Mr Spitzer's Life was treacherous because of his inability to sleep or be awake making him wonder what mad tailor he would ask again and again had tailored him or was he the tailor retailor sub specie aeternitatis eterni- under the aspect of eternity in its essential or universal form that which was not his own for never was he his own man and he was always suffering from this profound sense of distance as if he were another man scarcely acquainted with himself and his desires which he had outlived sometimes this sense of alienation would overwhelm him even when he was talking to an old friend mr spitzer treated every stranger as someone he knew because peron may have known them specie eternitatis is latin for under the aspect of eternity or that which is universally and eternally true One woman claimed that he had danced with her. Mr. Spitzer is adamant that he has never danced in his life. Even though Catherine says he is a good dancer. Uh, Earlier in the book. Or is it later? Uh, I don't remember. 27. Mr. Spitzer could not tell the difference between black and white, so he only asked questions about safe topics like the weather. He wished it... If possible, his life to be this continuum, existing always by reference to something else and continuous, broken though it was, and shattered almost beyond recognition, simply pulverized, and did not wish to absolve himself completely from the responsibility for his own dark past, and was also very curious, naturally, as to what his past had been. I like that he could, could not tell the difference between black and white, and so he only asked questions about safe topics like the weather. I, re- I remember that from the Midwest. There's three topics you never talk about. Religion, sex, and politics. So, what do we talk about all the time if you meet somebody, especially in the Midwest where I live? How's the weather? Oh, the weather's too hot. It's too cold. It's just right. It's... (laughs) Yep. Now, where was I? (sighs) That's been. He wondered what had transpired between the moments. He wanted to find out what his brother's secret past had been, or even what his present was. Smallest things might have a significance, especially when the Great Ones failed. Mr. Spitzer was mystified by Perone, even as to the simplest things, his way of tying his necktie in a loose knot, his flamboyant lack of dignity, his way of combing his hair frequently with a little mother-of-pearl Venus comb. Mr. Spitzer also had this comb, and they parted their hair on opposite sides. Peron to the left, Mr. Spitzer to the right. Prone had made comb music to distract Mr. Spitzer when he was writing music. Prone was always lighting matches. Prone always stayed up late and drank black coffee. Prone had lived well and had spent money as if it were water and given no thought to his old age. Indeed had died young. 28. Mr. Spitzer was not so careful of the impressions he gave as once as once he had been. His problems were so weighty. Mr. Spitzer would sit in his chair think he was awake when he yet would be fast asleep, no doubt, only dreaming that he was awake. He would tap his cane, perhaps to awaken the dead, for perhaps he dreamed that he had already departed, departed this life, cast off, as he would say, those mortal coils. As he sat there, sounds and thoughts spiraled in spite of him and his jealousies and his resentments, his baffled feelings, that with the music of nature he could not compete. Albeit he was filled with windy echoes of all those voices which were no more and which did awaken him. People wouldn't guess he had already died, for his intelligence seemed to increase just when it had decreased. He would answer questions he could not possibly have answered with accuracy. His memory continually altered what he remembered. Even the faces of his interlocutors, who sometimes did not see him, only imagining that they saw him. And we're almost done. 29. Mr. Spitzer's moments of con- unconsciousness were happening more, and this brightened him by their weighty implications. He didn't realize it had happened until the moment was gone, and could not be recalled, and could not be revivified. They were like the moments of his absence from the world. He dreamed he had been murdered. These moments would seem more than the moments of his life. They came with increasing frequency and rapidity, and left a luminous film, so that he knew he did not imagine them, that they were real, more real than his life had been for many years. He would be afraid, mortally afraid, that he might do something of which he was unconscious, totally or almost totally unconscious implicate himself in some vast problem, which is not his problem or his brother's problem. He gave an example of this by referring to the theft of the Rajah's crown jewel, and when he became aware, he was talking to Mozart. 30. Mr. Spitzer, when he thought he was asleep, found himself traveling, and he didn't know where because he had forgotten the name and address. For not only was Mr. Spitzer in the wrong carriage, he was the, he was the wrong passenger. He had taken his brother's place. Over times he would awaken to find himself going to a funeral, but have forgotten the name of the dead man, though he wore his perpetual mourning and was also in mourning for himself. The coach, coachman, and horses were described earlier by Catherine in chapter 14 as her body was the carriage and her soul. Now it seemed it was the passenger and her horses were her will, and the coachman was her conscience. Mr. Spitzer may be going through the same thing, and wonders, when should he break through his chrysalis, which was the coach, and the coachman, and the horses? When should he awaken? In a carriage he felt safe, but sometimes he walked. The carriage here would be his body if we use Catherine's symbolism. Mr. Spitzer would hear something and know that he had been asleep. It would seem only for a few years, and yet it might have been only for a few moments. Moments or years were one to him for what was time? Time was the substitution for reality. time was all that he had missed. And in a world which had perhaps always been no more orientated than now it was, and was perhaps permanently disorientated, was perhaps returning to the primal chaos which should bear no memory of man in his brief experiment, he did not want always he did not always know where he was. He found himself walking in a different time with older vehicles around him. Maxwell Autos may refer to Maxwell Motor Company, which ran from 1904 to 1925, and which later became Chrysler. This was why, even in his most peaceful moments, when he seemed so still, his head was whirling and his heart was pounding. He ignored the warning signs to stop. Sisti viator is Latin for stop traveler. It was common on Roman roadside tombs. Stop traveler, what you are, I once was. What I am, you soon will be. Oh, that reminds me of uh, because of drought in Europe and uh, all, everywhere, a lot of places, and the lowering of uh, riverbeds and, and lake beds things have been revealed if you've been watching the news. And so in like a Spanish stone hedge was really cool. That was that you could see, but then they, they've started to unearth these things called hunger stones, which were written in the 1400s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, got like about like total of 20 times along there. And on the stones, it says, if you can read me weep. So it's signaling that when the water got that low, There was, they had a really hard time with growing crops, food, scarcity, all that good kind of stuff. This reminds me of that. Um, So even though he sees these uh, cease deviator, or stop traveler, uh, signs, uh, and he had gone on. He had gone on when he could not go on. That was the great thing, really, in Mr. Spitzer's life. He had kept up the illusion when it was impossible to do so. Perhaps he sometimes thought he was leading two lives, both future and past, but he was wrong. He had missed that harmony which should have connected the beginning with the end. There were now no synchronizations of these accidents such as had occurred to the two brothers. If Mr. Spitzer died when he could be alone in the long avenues of space of time, fine as he thought of his extinction, that there would be no mourner and no memory of him. He would not help be nearly... He could not help being nearly congratulatory, for he had come to that place where he had nearly forgotten himself, having so far outlived himself that he was hardly the man he once had been. He was no longer in love with his death's head. Caput mortum is Latin for dead head or worthless remains used in alchemy. The last of his life had been used mourning Peron, and Peron had completely forgotten him and had not mourned. Peron had mourned for no one. There was a lot there. He had kept up the illusion when it was impossible to do so. Uh, 31. Perone had lived happily, so Mr. Spitzer wondered why his death should feel sad. Perone had lived in the moment. He did not appreciate Mr. Spitzer's attempt to make all things absolutely equal. Perone had been roaring chaos to Mr. Spitzer's harmony. Mr. Spitzer realized that if there had been a perfect balance or dividing line between the equal magnitudes the equal symmetries, Perone would never have been able... To gamble because nothing would be left to chance. There would have been such perfect justice. Nothing would have moved and no mad brother laughing in the darkness or in Mr. Spitzer's ear. Peron's motto was Carpe Diem. Carpe Diem is Latin for seize the day. Mr. Spitzer knew Perone did not know Latin and that he didn't seem to know English since he spoke a curious big city lingo had lived for the night associated with drifters, glimmers, moths, lamps, the dregs of the city. Not a little bit. Joachim's motto was Hocopus Hic labor est, for this is the truly difficult thing. Hacopas, Hic Eber, Hic. labor labor, i must say labor labor est is latin for this is the task this is the labor the line is from aeneid a latin epic poem written by virgil there are now three different mottos hinting at three different personalities in this chapter pronus carpe diem sees the day joachim is hoc opus hic labor est this is the task this is the labor mr spitzer's is semper fidelis semper idem semper paratus always faithful always the same always ready Mr. Spitzer would have given his life to complete his silent music, to complete his great opus, even though it would never be completed. He would have given up everything, his butterfly con- collection. He wanted immortality through his work. Peron could not foresee the f- empty future. Peron had borrowed money and forged checks from Joaquin. Mr. Spitzer had tried to explain the situation, no one believed him. Mr. Spitzer claimed there were other forgotten bank accounts lying around with the interest, never touched the interest, growing like the principal." Prone would have sold Mr. Spitzer's butterfly collection in order to put another bet on the horses. Prone would have sold Mr. Spitzer's musical manuscripts, or his miniatures of the beautiful dead ladies, or his golden harps, or the reflections on the fog, his keyboard, which abid his musical consciousness. 32. Mr. Spitzer thought every gambler had an element of ruthlessness in them. He did not understand or know why Prone had become a gambler. Prone's ways were incalculable, as puzzling to him then as now, when he looked back over the wasted years, and tried to find some meaning, some reason for his life. And as he did not always know himself, how could he know his brother's confidences he had not enjoyed? Mr. Spitzer claimed Perrone had lost many fortunes. Perrone always believed there would be another chance to regain the losses to make a comeback. Gambling is an addiction. Thirty-three, um, should I add anything about gambling? Like I have room to add stuff. but I'm always going to choose yes. 33. Mr. Spitzer, because of his equable mind, could not understand all these inequities. He needed certainty to exile chance to the outermost corner of the universe. Mr. Spitzer had always tried to safeguard his errant brother's future to foresee the consequences of each thoughtless act, the endless consequences. He had even pretended that Joaquin had committed the errors of this flesh, this body, instead of Peron, including that last great error of suicide, which was the one error he had not foreseen. He believed now that he had never thought his foolish brother would kill himself, but only Joaquin. It was because of Peron's mad career that Mr. Spitzer changed his mind so often. Peron was dead, so he couldn't thank him for doing it. Peron had taken for granted that Joaquin would always be there to take his place, to proclaim his ignorance of the promises he had not made, the engagements he had not kept, how often had he used Joaquin in one way or another so that he had scarcely dared to emerge from his hiding place. Mr Spitzer, in spite of his brother's ingratitude and the supreme purposelessness of his domino existence for which he had never once apologized, had kept their house beautiful. Prone just ignored him and had not grown old. Mr Spitzer knew that what Perone would have looked like had he grown old, but by looking at himself in the mirror, Mr. Spitzer felt buried in his flesh. Last paragraph thirty four Joachim and Prone's house was gone. Now it only remained in his memory. It was his fate now to be a visitor only to other people's houses, For he lived now in this old beachcomber's house, and he had been broken by the funeral. The debts he had paid, the debts he could not pay, was still wondering whose funeral it was. And I'm working on chapter 81 today, and I'm hoping I can get it done, because I really want to get to the last chapter. I think we have a couple of short chapters coming up so we might be able to move a little bit quickly like a 56 57 58 or something like that all right thank you for listening bye